fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Riley won the draw for the Leafs who play it high off a stick and it goes to O'Reilly. O'Reilly with an empty net. Scores! Holy Macada! Ryan O'Postrophe Riley! What did you buy today? I bought uh, six Bush Light, six Bud Light, and I love them, tall boys. Two drinks a week. What do you think of that? Well, that's just not uh, feasible, not in this country. Can I have uh, two liters of pop? Can I have two liters of pop? What's more healthy, four beers or two liters of Coca-Cola? Do the math. Jerry's busy down in Florida for the GM meetings, but fear not. Frank the Godfather is here with some sizzling hot takes. You know, getting pucks deep, putting the puck deep. Put pucks in deep, just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Pucks in deep. Pucks in deep, pucks deep, pucks deep. Keep getting pucks deep. Mike Ross here, public address announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're listening to the Pucks in Deep podcast with Adam Lesko and Josh Coleman. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Pucks in Deep podcast, episode 106. We've got a really exciting episode for you guys here this evening. We were joined by... The Godfather himself, Frankie Corrado, former NHLer, former Leaf, current TSN analyst, gave us his time. We are very excited about it, and we're not going to really waste any time here. Just going to bust right into this episode here as uh, Lesko was unable to be here right at the time of the call for Frankie, so he kind of wandered in a little bit late, but let's just get right to it. We'll tee it up right off the hop. Here's our call with Frankie Corrado. All right, folks, our next guest on the Pucks and Deep podcast here suited up in the National Hockey League for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Vancouver Canucks, where he was drafted, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Go Leafs, go. Uh, he also played in the OHL, the AHL, Sweden, and in the KHL. A native of Woodbridge, Ontario, has been described as a rising star in the hockey analyst department, uh, currently scheduled on TSN. You can catch him pretty much daily there. Uh, welcome to the show, former NHLer Frankie Corrado. Thanks for joining the boys here on the Pucks and D podcast, Frankie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That's wicked, man. Listen, I'm surprised. Normally around this time of the day, I'm doing the dishes, I'm sweeping the floors, I'm getting dinner ready for my my, my beautiful pregnant fiance, and I'm listening to Overdrive. You've been on there quite a bit. I guess what are the boys doing? They're off they've been off on vacation, gallivanting in the sun, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I think with March break coming around, the boys were eager to get out of town a little bit. And as you know, Noodles does a lot of the senators games he's between the benches a lot of nights for that so um oftentimes i'll get the call to pinch hit which i love doing it's a fun show regardless of who's there and i'm actually sitting on my couch watching the boys uh right now hayes noodles and the o-dog and um listen i've been watching that show for a long time um there was a point in my career where i was playing for the belleville senators and i was living in a hotel 
I think I stayed there for about three months, but it became such a staple in my day to just kind of turn on the TV at four o'clock and see what the boys were doing. And um, ever since then, it's been really cool to kind of fill in as needed when those guys are out of town or unavailable. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. It's, it is a great program. You're so right. I mean, obviously Toronto sports radio. So they're touching on the Jays, the Leafs, the Argos, the Toronto FC, the raps, right? Um, so it, it's such a great opportunity for a lot of Canadian sports fans. Cause in, in most of those sports that I just rhymed off, Toronto is is our only representation or or one of the few opportunities to represent our country. So, yeah, you guys might be on there talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs or any Toronto sports in general, but it must be it must feel pretty good to be able to to bring some updates and bring some news and opinions to fans, not only in Toronto, but across the country, Frankie. I mean, I, I listen to that program every day myself, and I'm, I'm located here in Pembroke, Ontario. You think I'd spend more time listening to the Team 1200 or something like that for Ottawa-based sports, but they can beat it. It's all about the Leafs here, right? Yeah, well, you know what I, I, I appreciate about the show as well is, yeah, we want to get to the Leafs right off the top, especially if they played, and there's a lot of Toronto content to get to, but it's a three hour show and it's broadcast all across the country. So if we have things to say about the Oilers or the flames or the Sens or the Canucks has been a popular one this year. Um, you know that there's people out there that really enjoy hearing that and it pertains to them. So it's nice to have that flexibility that you can go certain places throughout the show. And I know people around the country like to joke around about Toronto kind of being the the center of the hockey universe or, you know, even in Canada, kind of the, the center of the universe. So I think if we mix in some Oilers chats or, um, you know, some other Canadian markets, people really appreciate that. And And if anything, it's just, it just gains more viewers, right? Like you, you can take a little clip uh, of us talking about a, another team, if it's the Winnipeg Jets and, and they can play it in that market. So um, it's nice to have that flexibility and it's nice to, you know, spread your wings a little bit. Like I was not a, I'm a sports guy for sure, but I never really paid a ton of attention to certain details with other sports, more just kind of watching them as a fan. Right. But I think it's been cool to kind of like have to watch basketball or football or baseball and actually have an opinion on something, right? Like have an opinion on the Jays bullpen. What do I actually think about that? And, um, you know, it's kind of forced me to watch with a little more of a critical eye. And obviously it's nice to have a, a background as an athlete where I can say, okay, like how does that relate to hockey? Like how does that pitcher struggling relate to myself struggling when I played hockey, which was very often. So I was very um, easily relatable to that kind of thing. So it's cool to have that, that unique perspective. Right. It's a good point too, because you can't really fly by the seat of your pants on that type of stuff. I mean, you have to know what's going on. You don't necessarily need to be, a pros pro or an absolute expert on the topic, but you you better damn well know what's going on. You can't be, you <laughs> well, can't be caught with your pants down there talking about the Jays bullpen. No idea who's in the rotation. Exactly. I would explain it this way, right? Like you want to watch sports, you want to be informed, you want to be educated, and and most of all, you want to be prepared. But if you think you're going to watch every second of every sporting event that is um, relevant at that current time, if you can, good for you. You 
might not have a life, unfortunately, <laughs> right, right. Uh, because you have four TV screens going and you're staying up till 1am watching every sport that you may touch on. Um, so, you know, you just kind of have to do your best throughout the day to, okay, you watched a couple games last night, you read some articles, you understand what, what kind of the talking points are. And, um, you know, PVR is your best friend. I right. can't tell you how many times this year I've, I've PVR to game the night before and I can, you know, buzz through it in an hour and a half the next day. And a lot of times, let's be honest, we watch a hockey game like that and you kind of get the gist of it after a couple periods, unless it's really close and there's a critical error down the stretch or something like that, you can kind of understand which team's playing well and which team is struggling. So um, similar to being a player, you have to manage your time well. Um, you have to try and be prepared and diligent, but at the end of the day, there's still a, a balance to be had with, you know, having a life and making sure you're you're up to date on on everything that's going on. So we'll stay here for a moment. Uh, my co-host Lesko just walked in. Uh, say hi to Frankie. Lesko, Good day, Frankie. You? Thanks for bringing <laughs> the right. show, bud. <laughs> right on. Little uh, unorthodox, but we're getting it done here on the Puck Pod. Uh, so we're talking about Frankie's time uh, as an analyst on TSN. We'll stay there quickly, uh, Frankie before we kind of get through your, your time as a player, um, how did that develop? Like, at what point were you thinking to yourself, man, I, I watch these programs, I listen to these podcasts or radio shows, uh, this is where I'd like to be in my post-playing career. Was that something you always had in the background, or was it an opportunity presented to you after the fact that you took advantage of? Um, I would say vaguely something I had thought about. I, I probably thought that when I finished playing hockey, I would get into more of a player development or assistant coach kind of role. That's something that always uh, appealed to me, like just kind of thinking about the game and, um, you know, wanting. I played for a lot of good coaches. I played for a lot of bad coaches. And I think I had a pretty good perspective as far as what I would want to be in that situation. Um, but the, the situation with, with TSN kind of came up where, known certain guys for a while like I had known noodles um previously very briefly um I know O-Dog from back in my days with Toronto where you know I would see him in the room for morning skate and we would um you know chat a little bit there wearing the jacket um, of course yeah of course of <laughs> course wearing the jacket um you know trying to swipe some free uh hoodies or whatnot from our, our equipment guys no i'm just kidding but um you know so i had a little little bit of background there and uh the grappler who produces overdrive he i think had me on a couple times just to do a quick radio hit nothing crazy um and went back to play a couple more years played in sweden played in uh the khl and I was back from the KHL. I was dealing with a, a nasty hip injury. And Al's brother um, texted me out of the blue, who I had known a, a little bit just from doing his podcast from time to time. And he goes, hey, any chance you might want to co-host Leafs Lunch with me next week? Uh, our regular co-host, Julia, is going to be away for World Juniors. There's a spot. Uh, if you want to try it, I said, yeah, for sure. Um, so I did two days with Al's brother and next thing you know, I got a call from someone on the TV side about doing some CHL on TSN, which was a new property. They were getting up and running and, um, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit of a training ground for people to get their feet wet and see if they like it and, and how they can learn on the job. So, um, took that opportunity 
And then the opportunity presented itself to start doing the Leaf games on radio, the pregame shows, the intermission, and the postgame shows with Jim Taddy. Funny enough, that's what the O-Dog spent five years doing previous to his TV uh, position. So it started with that, and I enjoyed it. Like we talked about, tried to be as well-prepared as I can, have fun with it, show a little personality, and it snowballed into something that I really like, where now I'm on SportsCenter, um, Habs, Sends, Jets panels. I got to do one Leaf game this year, which was awesome, doing overdrive, doing still doing my Leaf games on radio, filling in on Leafs lunch. Um, I don't know if I've missed anything. I'm I sure I'm sure I have doing, you know, that's hockey with Gino Retta. So, you know, now it, it's one of those things where I'm working 24 to 27 days. I think March I'm doing 27 days this month um, because, A, I like it. It's fun. It keeps me busy. Um, and why not, man? Like, you know, it's a it's a pretty cool thing to do, especially post playing career where there's a lot of fear and uncertainty as to, what are you going to do after hockey? And I've kind of uh, been very fortunate to to jump into this head first. Yeah, busy guy is an understatement. I think you and I, uh, I reached out to you, whatever it was, uh, three weeks ago or something. And normally when, when you connect with somebody, it's, it's, it's kind of like sooner than later is usually the deal. And uh, you're like, yeah, no, I have no days off until March 20th. So maybe we can do it then. So <laughs> I know uh, you're, you're a pretty busy guy, but isn't it nice to know too, Frankie, you've spent some time, you know, on the radio doing pregames and then you got the call, hey, you don't just have a face for radio. We're actually going to put you on the TV. <laughs> that must have yeah. felt good. Yeah, that, that did feel good. You know what's funny? So I've heard this from a few people now. You you understand how regional blackouts work when when you hear this kind of stuff. I was doing a CHL game in London, Ontario. I was doing color commentary, and it was the intermission. I had run to the bathroom quickly to um, just go to the bathroom, and my on my way back to the booth, I got I got caught up with a couple people just chatting, um, nice enough to say hi. And the one guy goes, "Hey." Um, it was really cool to see you on TV. That's nice that they're giving you a, a game to do. Um, do you think you'll get any more games? And I, I, it didn't click in. I didn't realize I have done about probably 10 Habs panels and maybe another 10 Sens panels and another handful of Jets panels this year. But unless you live in those markets and those regions, you don't get to see those because they're blacked out. So someone would just see uh, myself on a leaf panel the one time that I did it and be like, oh, that's cool. They put them on TV once. Right. <laughs> so uh, um, but it was it was really cool. Obviously, being on a leaf panel is is a big deal. I think if you're uh, starting out in the industry, it's the you know biggest market. And, um, you know, Duffy runs the show there and the O'Dog. Like I was really fortunate. I got to sit next to Pooley and Bob McKenzie, which is. Um, you know, those are the guys I've been watching, um, you know, throughout my time watching Leaf games for the last little while. So um, it was really cool. I got to say, like, sitting next to Bob was awesome. Sitting next to Pooley was awesome. It's amazing to see Duffy do his thing. Um, it was the first time I really got to see Duffy and work with him. And watching Duffy do it right next to him was was pretty awesome. That's pretty sweet. Uh, friend of the show, friend of the puck pod, James Duffy. Just saying. 
Just saying, all right? Um, You know, before we move away from your radio, your TV uh, career and and into hockey, I know Lesko is looking forward to asking you some questions about your time as a Leaf, et cetera. Um, I did want to give you props, man, and I wanted to ask you, the the Godfather, okay? The Godfather segment Uh. uh, last week on (laughs) Overdrive. I want to give you props. Was that... Was that legit your call, or did someone kind of whisper that in your ear and you said, yeah, I can do that? How'd well, that go? so as you know, Wednesdays is for Jerry. It's Jerry's percentages. You're going to want to hear this. Jerry was out of town, and Jerry was unavailable. And we needed to give some percentages on Wednesday. We just didn't know how we were going to give percentages. And my co-host and I, Aaron Karolnik, were talking about it. And we golf together, and he calls me, well, O-Dog calls me Frank DeChambeau because he likes the way I can drive the ball. And Aaron Karolnik was saying, why don't you try and do a Bryson DeChambeau voice? I said, I I don't think there's any voice to be done there. I I don't know if I can do a DeChambeau voice. And then our producer, Rod, at the time was like, you know, you can just do your voice. I said, yeah, but if I'm just going to do my voice, we don't need to do anything. We don't need to do a, a recording. Right. And uh, so I said, oh, you know what, maybe we can play off the fact that I'm Italian and I do a decent like godfather. So I kind of did it for them and they were like, yeah, let's do that. We'll put some effect on it um, and put the godfather theme music behind it. Um, So anyways, it actually was me doing the voice. Uh, We did it in the back before the show and we put the effects on it and, um, you know, it was okay. It was okay. I was I was pleasantly surprised with how it turned out. Oh, it was better than okay, man. And yeah. uh, and listen, I'll give you this. You've got about eighteen or nineteen minutes before we let you go. And uh, in that time, work on that Godfather voice in, in your mind because I wouldn't mind hearing a little taste of it before <laughs> we let you go. Okay? Can you do that yeah. for me? Yeah, we can figure something out. Yeah, Frankie, you've been absolutely awesome. I just kind of rising star at TSN as far as I'm concerned. I mean, um, you know, it's always disappointing, I guess, as a listener and a fan when, you know, the the boys aren't on overdrive. But I think you slot in there really nicely. Um, obviously, a lot of great chemistry with those guys. And I think the player background helps you blend really well with O-Dog Noodles and the rest. So I just did want to throw you a compliment on that. Um, Thank I, you. I do want to take it back to your career, though. Um more in particular interested in that transition period. You know, you were at the 15, 16 Leafs, and then you're there in 16, 17, the kind of the pivotal pivotal point, I guess, in the Matthews era. And there was a lot of talk around that time by Shanahan, I guess, of changing the culture of the team, building a winning culture. So I was just wondering, from your standpoint, what did you kind of see happen between those two seasons, uh, kind of behind the scenes with that team? Yeah, you know what? It, it's a good question, and there's there's a lot that goes into that. The first thing I can tell you is you got to have good players, right? Like, you get a superstar player like Matthews injected into that lineup, and the fact that Marner and Nylander were right around the corner, and you can even throw someone like Zach Hyman in there, um, like, that's that's a big deal to have that kind of youth but that kind of skill and talent in your lineup. Um, and then... I think that was one of the things that they did a really good job of as far as the management goes and and, and Shani and Lou. Um, There was the good teams that I've seen around the league, the really good organizations, they just have a certain way of doing things. And it may be different and unique to them, 
And it's not a one size fits all approach. I'll give you an example. Like when I got drafted by the Vancouver Canucks and I was 18 years old, I went to development camp there. You could see so clearly how they wanted to do things, how they wanted to operate. And it may, it may have been different than how Edmonton or Boston or LA was doing things, but that's what they believed in. And they had a lot of success doing that. And so the quicker you have that vision and the more crystal clear it is, the easier it is for players to get on board. Um, and I thought there was like lose rules. They're a little funny. They're maybe a little outdated, but the messaging was still clear. Like we want to do things as a team. Um, you know, there's, there's a certain way we're going to present ourselves. There's a certain way we're going to carry ourselves every day. And, um, you know, for better or worse, like I, I thought they did a really good job of meshing that group together and having that one goal and that the, the messaging was very clear. Um, you know, there were other aspects of, of that that maybe weren't great. Um, and I'm sure we can touch on that at some point. Um, and I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about, but, um, the, you know, the, the messaging was good. They had, uh, an injection of youthful, uh, highly skilled players and it makes a really big difference. Yeah. I think that was a welcome change too, just to see that top down approach of like, we're going to do things differently. We're going to build things differently and just, I felt like for years and years, the Leafs were a patchwork of throwing shit at the wall, trying to see what stuck. So it was nice to hear some cohesion and a plan and kind of a long-term vision. Um, obviously, during that era, there was I felt like there was a period of time where you were like the most popular player who we knew nothing about because the free Corrado movement happened where you, you, know, you played, I think it was one game by the new year and we're hearing all these debates. I hell, I remember hearing them talking on overdrive. Like, we don't know this guy. How do we know if he can play or not, if he's not going to play? So I just wanted to get your perspective on what that whole, that situation was like. I know it obviously wasn't a fun one for you, but if you can just give us an idea of what that whole period of time was like from your standpoint. And, and full disclosure, Frankie, before you launch into this, um, if we if we play back the, the Pucks in D podcast, you'll, you'll hear myself just losing it uh, over Babcock. <laughs> like I needed Babcock gone. Yeah. <laughs> like I needed a million dollars in my pocket. Um, so spare no, yeah, de spare you, no you detail. And, yeah. You, you and me both. Uh, we definitely share that in common. I mean, okay. So we got to go back to when I got put on waivers by Vancouver. Like it's a very low moment for a young player who's trying to make the NHL. Obviously it happens to, I, I didn't have a very good training camp that year. That happens. Uh, but honestly, best day of my life getting picked up by the Leafs. And, you know, especially to that point in my life. And I remember talking to my dad after that happened, and we both kind of agreed, like, man, just go in there, be a sponge. Like, you're playing for the best coach in the world. And, you know, if you do that and you absorb everything, very good chance you can be a very good player in this league for a long time, like a lot of players have. Um, so that was kind of like my mindset and attitude going into it. And things just could never really get going. It felt like there was this weird tension and, you know, like, like it's a hard thing for a player at that age to go through because I was 22. And I think at that age, you just need to play. You need to discover who you are. What's your identity as a player. And it's very easy to lose sight of that at that age. I think if you're 27, 28 and you've played a lot already and you got to that point and that kind of thing happens to you, well, you know what you are and you know you always have that identity to kind of go back to. So I really think I lost that along the way. And 
you know, the moments that I did play later on in that season, I just kind of felt this insecurity uh, about my game and really afraid to make a mistake. And um, it wasn't like, it wasn't a great situation for me, like mentally as a player, let's say, like I could never really activate my game the way I, I kind of hoped or aspired to. Um, and I, I think it, it was, it's really interesting, like looking at things now because I see players like Hall and Lilligren who are right-hand shots in this market. And this market in Toronto is very hard on defensemen. And I laugh now and thinking about my situation where a lot of people really liked me and were pulling for me. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I just didn't play much. Like if you want to be a liked defenseman in the Toronto market, just don't play. Everyone <laughs> will true. love you. It's so true. It's great. You're like the player that could be, but no one gets to see. So they all like rally around it and really like you. Whereas if you're the player like Justin Hall is at times who, you know, can be polarizing in, in this market, it's like they see him play too much and then they rally against him. And <laughs> there's a lot of vitriol towards him. So I'm in, in my career now, I'm actually quite fortunate that, I had that situation because I feel like a lot of fans kind of um, like me for some reason. It, it's probably because I didn't play much. And it was really interesting to go through that as well and, and see after games, you know, where we lost, um, you know, just being on Twitter, you know, I'd go check Twitter like I do, you know, a million times a day. And it's like, Oh, there's hashtag free Frankie. I'm like, Oh my God, what, what is going on here? Like, you know, I would love to be playing, um, in a weird way, I kind of think that maybe made Babcock not want to play me even more because I, I'm pretty sure he was on Twitter too. He might have had a burner, but um, you know, I think I walked by him on the bus one time and I saw him scrolling Twitter and my eyes lit up like the Fourth of July. I was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, it was it was really nice to have that support though, and it, very fortunate for me. Interesting, and it's funny that you mentioned that you had more support when you did not play. And, and, and I couldn't agree with you more that this media is so hard on defenders that had you gotten a regular shift, free Frankie might have turned into hashtag trade Frankie. One, Frankie. one or two mistakes and you're out the goddamn door, buddy. Very good chance. Yeah, very good chance. And I think that, you know, so I ended up playing that year um, I only played two or three games before Christmas. And I think from Christmas to uh, the All-Star break, I might have played three or four games at the most. And then from once we made all the trades at the trade deadline, um, I basically played every night. So I think it ended up being about 39 games that year. But it was a tough like it was a tough spot to be in, even the games that I did play. I had basically missed half a year not playing. Um, we were obviously in a, a team in a transition period. So, you know, you know, you hear people talk about young players and talk about putting them in a position to succeed. You know, you hear that line a lot. Right. That wasn't exactly putting young players in a position yeah. to succeed. The next year, totally different story. Like the, the next year is a totally different story because everyone was healthy. All those guys that didn't finish the season healthy, whether it was Bozak, JVR, Kadri, um, you know, we had on the back end, we had a little more insulation. Um, and then you add the fact that Marner, Nylander, Kapanen, Matthews, all those guys had kind of like made the jump that next year. And you're like, that was the year that people were saying the Leafs are actually good. 
Like, you know, like we, we would, we would lose some games and, you know, we would get blown out every once in a while, but you know, the fact that that team in the 16, 17 season actually made the playoffs, um, that kind of pointed to the fact that, yeah, it was a quick transition, but a lot of those players were put in a position to succeed and do well. And that was the year that was the most frustrating for me because I felt like I had learned a lot the year before and I really had an awesome summer. Like that, that next summer, I like just, I don't know. Some players talk about having a big summer. Like that was one where I really felt like I, I improved a lot, dedicated a lot that summer um, and had a really good training camp. Like I remember I had a goal uh, in one of the preseason games in Halifax against the Sens. I had a three assist night in uh, Buffalo, uh, like really felt good about my game. And going into that camp, like had no promises or guarantees that I was going to make the team. And actually going back to the summer, I remember having a chat with Lou kind of saying, you know, you're going to be on a one, one year, one way deal, but um, that doesn't mean you're on the team. Like you'll have to earn that at training camp. And I said, that's great. Like, that's all I can ask for. Thank you. Um, and, you know, coming out of that training camp, we kept eight defensemen and, you know, we can figure out pretty quickly if you're the eighth defenseman, which I was, but I was just really happy to be there again and kind of figured maybe I'll get an opportunity off the hop here just to kind of get in every once in a while. And, you know, you never know guys will be hurt. I, I felt like I, I earned a, you know, earned a spot. At, listen, at the end of the day, you can say you earned a spot, but no one's ever entitled to anything in hockey. No one owes you anything. So you always have to keep that in mind, right? Um, and then that year, I got in one game early on in Pittsburgh. Uh, it was a losing effort on Hockey Night in Canada, but I, like, I don't know. I still talk to Jimmy Ralph about that game, and Ralphie's like, that's one of the best games you ever played. And I said, <laughs> thank you. Ralphie, thank you for noticing. Uh, I felt very good about that game. And then I never played again until like February. And that, that was in early November. And that was, you know, that stretch from November to February was uh, brutal. Just, you know, like you, you feel so purposeless, even though you're in the NHL, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to find purpose coming to the rink every day, doing a, a bag skate or a workout or, you know, just going on the ice for warm up. It really felt it really felt odd. What's the communication level like there, though, Frankie? I mean, are you coming in hoping to see your name on the board, or are you coming in like, yeah, I'm not playing tomorrow. I know what the deal is. Like, is there any yeah, meetings? The latter. Yeah, eh? well, it, it's the latter. Yeah, it's more the latter. I, I think at some point early on in the year, I definitely had that hope that I would just walk in and kind of see my name on the board and feel like, oh, okay, great opportunity tonight. Um, that never happened. Like, never happened once. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, yeah, it, it's difficult. And, you know, I think at one point, like, I had a, just called Lou and, and just said, like, hey, what's going on here? Because I think as a young player, too, when you're 22, 23, like, I would have been 23 at that time. It's like, dude, don't rock the boat because you're in the NHL and these opportunities are not given out to anyone. Be a good guy, be a good teammate, and be patient and wait your turn. That's what you're taught as a young kid, right? Like, right. um so, you know, it, it was tough to not, like, start questioning things all the time. And I think throughout the process, Lou was pretty fair with me. He kind of told me at one point during the year, he said, listen, if you're not going to get in, be patient with me. I'll try and find a, a place for you that, that might have some use. And so, um, you know, eventually I ended up getting, getting traded to Pittsburgh. But, yeah, it's, it, was, it was very frustrating. The, the best word I can use to describe it is purposeless. It was a very purposeless time for me as a hockey player. 
Uh, basically, the only thing good that came out of it were the paychecks every two weeks and right. the fact that I gained some notoriety here in the Toronto market. And uh, people really seemed to take to me because I never, uh, you know, never played and thus never had multiple giveaways and missed defensive <laughs> assignments in their living room. But how many Marty Wildwood pleasure packs did you go through during that time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's, it's hard not to get, uh, hard not to get wrapped up in that. I'll tell you this misery loves company. So, um, if there was ever a guy on the team that was maybe going through like a little bit of a tougher time and not playing or not playing well, for some reason, misery liked to seek me out. Cause I was, uh, constantly that guy, you know, like mm -hmm. some guys would go in and out of the lineup. Some guys would play well, not play well. The one constant was I was not playing. So <laughs> they, they knew who to come to. I think that's what part of what made your situation so unique. And just, you know, in that first year when they pick you up, it's like, well, the D sucks. So why can't he play? Like, right. why isn't he getting an opportunity? Like you said, find your game, see what you're made of at a young age. Now, I think we have a pretty good idea of your impression of Babcock. Uh, you played for Sheldon Keefe as well, so I did want to ask you what you thought the Sheldon Keefe's effect on this current group has been. Uh, big. I think he's transformed this team in a big way. I think the way he wants to play in the D zone specifically is a little different than how Babs wants to play, and it just offers a little more support. One of the things Babs had was like, Everyone is playing a one-on-one -on -one low in the zone. It's great in theory until someone gets a step on you, which happens because it's the best players in the world, and you just don't have enough help. Whereas Sheldon Keith kind of has a little more of a, an extra layer as far as you know, not leaving you stranded in a one-on-one -on -one every single time. Um, as, as, as far as other things, like Sheldon's changed the neutral zone a little bit, like the Leafs, uh, when I was there under Babs, would play the standard 1-2-2. Two, two. Now, if you notice, if you watch the Leafs, they're in a 1-1-3. One, one, so they have three players stacked across the blue line. So, you know, if you ever, you know, talk about the Leafs or hear people talking about the Leafs in the neutral zone, how they, they won the neutral zone and they were really good, It's a lot of it has to do with stacking three players across the blue line. And the thing I really like about that is, it leads into your breakouts a little better. Now you have an extra player back quicker on the puck to make breakout plays where, um, you know, you just didn't have that before. So, the, the, you know, to summarize it, essentially X's and O's wise, there's a little more help. There's a little more insulation. There's an extra layer for you under Sheldon Keefe. I think Sheldon Keefe is a very astute coach and you can see by the way he can mix his matches lines. Um, he has a really good pulse on the game you know, like a lot of coaches like to line match. That's great. I think a lot of that can be reactive. I think Sheldon Keefe is one of those coaches that's proactive and he'll try and jump on the other team with, you know, going nuclear and putting Matthews, Marner and Tavares or Matthews, Marner and Nylander. Like he's very intuitive that way, which I appreciate as a coach. And he's an excellent communicator. He's, he's hard. Like he's, you know, he's demanding. He's not afraid to raise his voice. I think that's all good. I think there should be high demands on players playing in the NHL. It's not, it shouldn't be a walk in the park. Um, but he's an excellent communicator. I'll give you an example. I was playing for him with the Marlies, and I was coming off ACL surgery, and my shot was brutal. Like, I was not getting anything through from the point, and anything I did get through was a muffin. And he brought me in. He showed me some video clips of my left foot. 
And he's saying, watch your foot here. Your foot is like facing the sideboards when you're shooting. He goes, it's probably because your knee, like you're not, and it was my left knee that I had ACL surgery on. He goes, your left knee is like kind of afraid to, to face the net. And he pulled up some NHL clips. So he had pulled up like PK Subban, um, pulled up someone else. And he goes, watch this. It's the exact same play you're trying to do, but watch their foot, watch their knee. And sure enough, their foot and their knee facing the net and excellent shots. He goes, okay, so we have practice at 11 o'clock. He goes, at 1030, you're going to go on with, I can't remember who it was, someone from the player development crew. He goes, you're going to go on with them and work on this. And then we'll have, you know, like you'll, you'll join the team for practice. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, how good is that? How many head coaches would kind of like realize that, A, and then B, put a plan in place for you to like go work on it on the ice with someone helping you, you know? So I think he's an excellent coach and I think it's only a matter of time until this team starts getting results in the playoffs. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that real quick before we let you go, Frankie. We got to let you uh, get off on your, on your busy life here. But uh, on Sheldon Keefe, selfishly, um, I, I love it that he's coaching my favorite team because I, I had the, the, the privilege of calling the games while he was coaching five consecutive championships here in Pembroke uh, in the CCHL. And you're so right. Uh, his attention to detail, uh, I think, can be maybe described as unmatched. So. And to get that one-to-one time is phenomenal, too, because I don't think a lot of older school coaches even take that time to do those sorts of things. Right on. Yeah. Okay, Frankie, so listen, before we uh, get you out of here, we're asking all of our guests since the beginning of time when we started this episode or this podcast in 2018, tell me if the Leafs are going to make it Maybe you can give me a godfather percentages that the Leafs are going to make it. What do you think, Frankie? Okay. All right. Let me, uh, let me channel my godfather voice here. So what, where are we talking? We're talking Stanley Cup finals. We're talking first round, Stanley baby. Cup. Come on. We, uh, the the Stanley Cup is are a we first winning round one this us? year. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. I'll have you guys know I talked to my people this morning. What they're telling me. Is the Toronto Maple Leafs have a 71% chance of winning the first round. Brilliant. That's better wow. than numbers than what the stats nerds are giving us, I'm sure. That's so true. Way <laughs> to go, Frankie. And is that your own uh, opinion as well, or is that just from the, the, the grapevine? No, that's that's Don Vito Corleone. I'm more around a 61%. Oh, no. I'm 61. Yeah, okay, 61. But you're, but you're still on our side, so that's good. Yeah, man. that's good. Yeah. All right, yeah. listen, Frankie. Well, thanks again for joining us, man. I'm glad we were able to squeeze it in. Uh, hopefully, we can chat with you again down the road. Uh, once again, everyone listening, tuning in, Frankie Corrado. You can catch him on TSN. You can catch him on all kinds of panels as long as you're not blacked out. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, well, there's our boy, Frankie Corrado. No shortage of content. I knew he's such he's such a great talker. Like, so I can see why Al's brother, for example, said, hey, you want to co-host Leaf Lunch? Like, he's probably spent a bit of time with him, heard Easy. him talk. I mean, it, it just I talked about it on, uh, when we were interviewing, but the way he slides so seamlessly in, and he is not, it's not like he's been doing this for years and years nope. and years. No, listen, I'll, I'll tell you straight up, man. Like, when I come home, it's usually right around the time that I'm home anyway, like four or shortly after four, and you catch the first segment, which is usually Leafs. Like the first segment is usually Leafs mm-hmm. unless there's a big uh, sports story to talk about. You're right. Like when you mentioned to him that sometimes you hear the regular guys aren't on and you're kind of like, ah, you, do, yeah. do I is really? Is it Feshuk or Corrado? Big difference. Do I need to tune in, you know? And, yeah. and, and you're so right. Like he does slide in seamlessly 
and it, it doesn't hurt the show. I feel like it's much the same. Like if you sub out O-Dog or you sub out Noodles for him, I feel it, the dynamic remains the same. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was funny because they had there was two clips that they use on Overdrive quite frequently. One of them is Lou Lamorello, and the clip is regarding Frankie Corrado. Like, the audio clip oh, is about right. Frankie. What, what did he say? I can't clip? remember. I can't remember either, but I, I, I know which one you're referring to. Yeah. They play it all the time. Yeah, and then the other one is, um, this guy's such an idiot over here. <laughs> yeah. And that was about Dave Festchuk. Correct. And la- last week, they had Festchuk and Corrado on the show, and they were like, pretty uh, historical moment here that two of our most well-played back audio clips are actually about two guys that are on the show uh, right now. So, yeah, always a fantastic program and very lucky to have him join the Pucks and D podcast here. Bit of a strange one, Lesko. You kind of arrived just shortly after. Seemed a good timing. Like, you guys were just getting going and all that. So uh, Yeah, we were just getting going. So Just really great for him to to join the show. And like I said, great, great conversationalist, great talker. So you couldn't ask for a better guest. And, you know, just – Really interesting to get that insight, you know, not just on Babcock, but on Keefe, on Lamorello, and on, on that transitional phase where the team went from, you know, perennial laughing stock to actually good, as he said. Right. Well, we're still a bit of a laughing stock, but I hear your, fo- I hear your <laughs> point. <laughs> There's still laughs to be had. Plenty of laughs, laughs to be had. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Frank Corrado, you can follow him on Twitter at Frank Corrado22. I'm not going to spell it out. Google is a great resource. At Frank Corrado 22 you can catch him online on wherever he's at. So, yeah, what are we up to now, my friend? We haven't recorded since yeah. we had the trade deadline. Yeah, so we definitely got to hit that. I think the listeners are looking for some of our thoughts and feelings on that. Obviously, the Ryan O'Reilly injury puts a bit of damper on things. Yeah, a bit of a buzzkill. Um, but I am all in, just like Kyle Dubas is, just like the Leafs are, because I think we could not – have possibly asked for more. And I know every year we've been like, yeah, these seem like good trades. Felino, fucking in a vacuum. We look at Dubas' moves, but it's always been one or two peripheral moves, yes. right? A third liner, a fourth liner, a depth D, right? No, this is like, this is like I've amended the way this team plays the game. You bring in guys like O'Reilly, and apparently his impact on the room has been felt immediately. But it's a huge roster shift, right? It's yes. not Like you said, it's not just that one depth piece or that player that has experience and veteran leadership, like mm-hmm. a Nick Foligno, for example. Um, this is the moves that Dubas made ahead of the trade deadline are roster changing. Mm-hmm. like as in, And we saw guys go out because at first there was no subtraction from the roster. Right. So we saw, you know, guys like Engvall go out. God bless him, but we've been bitching about it for years. The guy's 6'5", but plays like he's 5'6". Yeah, skates around right? real fast. You bring in guys like Achari who finish every check. And that's really what they're looking for, those bottom six guys. They're, they're building more with that playoff team in mind for sure. Yeah, and, you know, you look at the, the short, uh, small sample size for a guy like Engvall, who's actually done well um, on Long Island, scored a couple of goals, I believe. And uh, Rasmus Sandin is another one who has been garnering some 
good feedback from Washington mm-hmm. Capitals fans. However, when you peel back that onion a little bit, I think they're going to find out sooner than later that, yeah, he can shoot the puck in the net and provide some offensive flair, but it's in the defensive zone where the problems mm-hmm. really lay. Uh, yeah. And if we look at his fancy stats, I actually just saw a tweet earlier today that is showing that like he's on the ice for like over 90% of the opposition's high danger chances. Mm-hmm. So not just a couple of chances. So they're giving up a lot. Yeah, they're giving up like the best scoring opportunities for the opposition or actually when he's on the ice. And I don't mean to talk smack about Sandine, mm-hmm. but someone was kind of chirping me the other day online about, you know, the Leafs don't know how to value their players. And here's another great example of another player leaving and he'll have success elsewhere. And it's just, I, I think it's a little bit I think of that's a an old trope. There. I think that's an old trope thing about the Leafs because that's kind of what they were. They were bad at developing and they were bad at giving up on guys too early. Right. I don't really see this as that uh, as the case. I'm sure you can prove us wrong. But let's There's be time. honest. Let's look at this from the plainest, simplest lens. He wasn't playing. Okay. As soon as they brought in Jake McCabe, he was not playing. He was not the top three left side. So in that respect... What's the point? You've got an asset. You've got a guy who I would say deserves to play in the NHL, but was not going to play for this team. Right. So what are you going to do? Are you going to treat him like Frankie Corrado? Right. Or are you going to trade him to exactly. a team that can use are him? Are you right? going to give him the Corrado treatment or are you going <laughs> to let him move on? So I think they did right by him to, to move him on. Um, obviously capitalized, I think, on, on his value and getting that first round pick. I would say the only knock on the trade deadline and the one that I heard the most complaints of is that tr- first line, or, uh, sorry, first round pick was not actually moved for anything. But I believe that's for off-season maintenance. That's what I think that first oh, round for pick sure. for. Oh, that, for that sure. That's going somewhere for something. At the draft. It's either for a trade down or it's going to be to unload somebody's salary they don't want. I, we've seen it lots in the offseason from Dubas. So that pick, I'm sure, is still in play. Just not today, right? Will he be the one to... Make the decision on that pick come now that come draft time. a whole time. other conversation. I, th- I think we'll get into that too. Um, we'll stick to the deadline right now. I want to get your thoughts. We spent a lot of time talking Patrick Kane. After seeing a sample size, I think eight, ten games or something, he's played for the Rangers, a couple of points. What do you think? Uh, okay, it's a difficult question. There's a, that's a loaded question. It's not just like, hey, what do you think of Patrick Kane? We're talking mm-hmm. about the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And I have felt throughout most of this season that the Rangers are frauds. Yo, wow. I think the the Rangers are frauds. Really? Now, when when I say frauds, what do I mean? Like, do I mean they're going to miss the playoffs? No, no, no. Like, they're going to be in the playoffs, and they may even do well in the first round. You just don't see them as contenders like everyone else does. I don't see them as contenders the way everyone else does. You can rhyme off their fantastic players, Panarin, Mm -hmm. Kane, Zabanajad. Kreider, like there's all Tarasenko, you know what I mean? Like they added so much firepower, mm-hmm. but I, I, I just, I just, I think they're frauds, and I think a lot of it has to do with the substandard play of the reigning Vezina winner, mm-hmm. Igor Shosturkin. That and is a big wild card because they do depend on him a lot. As do I as a Shosturkin owner. So in you're fantasy, monitoring him closely. <laughs> I am monitoring him closely. I am also slightly biased. So I may be a little, you know. So you're mad uh, at him right now. Yeah, I'm mad. So I might be a little angry there when I say they're frauds, but it's just I've seen it firsthand. I'm watching the games because I have fantasy-relevant players I'm the type of fantasy hockey player and NHL hockey fan where I will tune into the games where mm-hmm. my guys are going. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And I tune into the games and it's one nothing, two nothing the other team always. 
always, it seems like Shesterkin can't set his team up for success. They have to fight to erase mm-hmm. what he has been doing. And you look at a guy like Yaroslav Halak who comes in, and they put up seven. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's the deal there? And that's a weird thing that it's too bad Frankie couldn't stick around with us for a little bit longer. That would be a great question for a player. Like, when you see your starting stud is in there, it, whether it's on purpose or not, do you maybe take your foot off the pedal a, a little a, bit? probably a bit more relaxed, I would think. Oh, we got Igor. Like he's going to bail you out. And I, I'm just wondering, and I'm sure this is a big focus to them because I have seen his numbers. They're not anywhere near what they were last year. So you got to think if they're going anywhere in the playoffs, he's got to get going because that's a weakness to be exploited. Um, you know, I think their defense is pretty solid, but not enough to offset substandard goaltending. And you would think that, you know, most of their numbers throughout the last two seasons anyway have been buoyed by his play. So back to your original question, which is Kane. We were talking about mm-hmm. it. We uh, were getting a little aroused by the idea that maybe he could come in. Um, I don't think that it's a bullet dodged, if that's kind of what you were asking right. me. Like, hey, do you, are you happy maybe we didn't get him? What mm-hmm. do you think? Um, because it's just such a it, – it's not a question that can be answered. He mm-hmm. would have had to have been traded to the Leafs, mm-hmm. and then we would have had – you know, uh, whatever it is, an eight or nine game sample size to say whether yeah. whether Dubas struck out or not. Um, I, I would have liked to have have him at that point in the game. If you remember our conversations in our in our text chain, it was for me imperative that Dubas acquire an impactful second line winger. Mm-hmm. Um, I quickly changed my tune to the Matthew Nyes conversation. Right. I did have Matthew Nyes on the docket to talk to Frankie about because I was hoping maybe he might have a little bit there Mm -hmm. on that bone, but um, maybe for another guest down the road. But uh, I'm really, really looking forward to Nyes joining the club. I do honestly feel that he slides into that L2 or L3. I don't want to mm-hmm. put all the pressure in the world on him, mm-hmm. uh, but I think he can he can slot into that middle of the lineup. He's not going to yeah. be your first line left winger, but he's also not going to be our fourth line left winger because there's too much skill. It would be like deploying um, a Nick Robertson mm-hmm. in in the in the fourth line role. Like you, you have to put him where he is most. Uh, likely to succeed. Yeah. And I do think that would be inserting him alongside the likes of a Taveras slash Marner type of deal, especially if he joins the team with a couple of games left in the regular season. Yeah. One of those is against Tampa. And those are tryouts, right? One like of them is against are, Tampa. Those are tryouts where Sheldon's going to put him in the blender and probably give him a look all over the place. All over the place. Maybe second PP. We're talking second line, third line, uh, maybe fourth line. So, I, it's pretty exciting, and, and it's pretty obvious that the Maple Leafs factored Matt Nyes into his into their plans. Given that they have, I think, in and around seven fifty available under their cap, well, no, for him it, to join the team. It's, I can clarify it. It's nine hundred twenty eight thousand. Okay, and the maximum amount that they can pay Matthew Nyes is nine twenty five. Okay, well, so there we it, go. if they elect to go with the maximum. Amount. Mm-hmm. I don't know how those ne- negotiations go, but let's say they go maximum amount. That's nine hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars to Matthew Nyes, leaving the Leafs with a well-rounded number of three thousand dollars heading egg. into the uh, playoffs, and also one contract shy. Right, forty-nine out of fifty contracts. So I would say that was probably the only 
I would say, minor letdown. Like I said, it was such an exciting deadline. This is, this gives me reminiscent feelings of the 2001 or two deadline when we brought in Ronnie Francis and oh, Brian yeah. Leach. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we yeah. were fucking going for it that yeah. year, even though those guys were at the end of the roads. That's the vibes I got from this deadline. We're swinging for the fences. We're doing it all. Um, I think I don't think they paid outrageous prices um, you know, all things considered, especially when you look at, like, say what Tampa paid for Janot. Right. I think it's fucking ludicrous. Egregious. And, but Tampa's used to overpaying, and they're just in – they're going through the motions, I think, that they're that's what they do. Um, and one more kick at the can. Not Maybe not one more, but another kick at the can mm-hmm. for them. Why not try it? It's kind of like the Pittsburgh – um, situation that they have going on right now mm-hmm. where they, they refuse to, to cave in mm-hmm. while they have that core. So Tampa, same idea. They refuse to give up while they they'll still have. They'll pay what they'll have to pay to get the guys that right. they think will help them succeed. And I'm not going to lie, let's go. Tanner Janot, like I do, I, I know he hasn't been great. I but know, I like him. I know Tampa hasn't been great as a collective mm-hmm. uh, recently as well, but I'm just, I'm, I'm worried about a guy like Janot because he he screams to me like the type of player that sewers us like in game Nick seven, Paul. exactly like Nick Paul. Nick Paul. Paul. Yeah, exactly yeah. like Nick Paul. Yeah, so I was really high on the scoring winger thing, low power play punch. I feel like it's pretty obvious that Dubas' philosophy hasn't changed, and it's that, well, no, we've got the offense, we've got the guys, they have to get it done. It's not like we're a Pat Kane away from, from winning game seven. Now, you look at a lot of situations, the power plays, faltering in the playoffs. Um, they're not scoring nearly as much as they do. And what it boils down to is the guys not getting it done. But what I think the O'Reilly acquisition really does for you is that if things aren't cooking in the first game or two, you've got the option to go three lines Okay, three lines deep if you really want to. Oh, the options with, are endless. With Matthews rounding in a form, like I think the last lineup I saw the other day, or earlier today, was uh, Matthews with Kerfoot and Yarncroft. Yeah. And allegedly, Matthews was insistent about playing with Yarncroft. With Yarncroft, yeah. And we're seeing the benefits of that already. Yarncroft's got an excellent shot. He's got a ton of hustle. I'm not going to put him in the Zach Hyman category, but that's what he reminds me of in, in that role. Yeah, and in my honest opinion, he's a like a hybrid child of Hyman, Bunting, and Kerfoot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like all three of those players, they're all in the same category as Yarncroft, but I do think that his skill level yeah. is a little bit above the, the, the aforementioned he, he's, players. He's good 200-foot player, but he's got the shot, I think, that puts him over the top. And obviously his shooting percentage is astronomical. He's uh, on track for a career high in points and goals. I know a lot of people laughed and said, you know, why when he got four years term. I think we're starting to see what they saw and how compl- uh, how complimentary of a player this guy can be. It seems that he's kind of glued himself in the top six. And I think especially if they decide to go a three-line offense type situation. Man, well, the... the- the opportunity is in front of a guy like Keith. Like you, you know, obviously the pressure is on. I'm sure he's feeling it. He's probably thinking about it every night before bed. But I do think that what helps him rest his head on the pillow at night is the fact that he can just blend it up, and it's probably going to be good. It, it can't be bad. Mm-hmm. If you put any guy with any guy on this roster right now, I'm sure it's going to be fine. You look at a guy like Lafferty Daniel. Coming in, okay? Lafferty Daniel, like, he has provided levels of spark. Uh, Cookie, Noel Achari, they call him Cookie. He loves cookies. God, I love him. You know, we love him. And cookies. 
You love cookies also. Yeah. Both adult and child ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you see that they, Tim Hortons did a little thing with them? They, they, so they, I guess they caught wind of the cookie thing and did a little cookie tasting oh, kind with, of promotional with video. Yeah, the, the t- Timmy's S- all Smart marketing that. there, yeah. for sure. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got like the uh, golden. I fucking hate them, but great. The, great the golden marketing. locks and the blue eyes of Willie Styles there working the uh, drive through when oh, yeah. Matthews and Riley show that up in their 80s too. gear. This is preposterous. <laughs> <laughs> so good, that man. That was good. So good. Listen, speaking of good, uh, just quickly, how great was that Godfather impression at the it's end of the really call? good, actually. <laughs> like, Frankie. I know he's like tallied, like. Frank, he you know his real name is Francesco Corrado of Woodbridge, Ontario. So oh. that's about as Italian as it gets from not being from Italy. Yeah, so. I mean, Little Italy, uh, Woodbridge for sure. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was friggin' hilarious. I, I, I wanted to ask him, but I kind of was hesitant to do it because I thought maybe it's, you know. It, Put him it, on the spot, but he, he got into character. He did yeah, the whole he thing. did. Yeah, he took a little moment to get into character. I also kind of wondered if maybe that was like, wow. That's an overdrive thing. You know, we're, we, we can't be stealing from it. But when you have a guy from the program on the show, I do think it's acceptable to try and yeah, steal from the program. He owns the license. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Um, listen, man, yeah, I the, the, the trades were very exciting. Deadline day itself was a bit of a letdown only because Dubas made his swings much yes. earlier. And, and what a trend that's become because we Deadline look around – it's deadline week now, and Kyle Dubas, once again, he's been doing this for years. Uh, a month in, a month away from deadline, he's making his biggest moves. We saw that with O'Reilly. We saw it with Jake Muzzin a few years ago. Yeah. So, Or he's at least getting the ball rolling. That has become a very interesting trend. And the other trend I feel that he's set is the brokering of the additional retention elsewhere. Yeah. That We saw that with multiple trades this past deadline. Whereas when he first did it, everyone was like, oh, can he do that? Like... Everyone was all confused, and it's like, what? There's a third party, and they're taking 25%. So very interesting to see that other teams have picked up and exploited that as well. A little innovative action there by boy wonder Kyle Dubas. Yes, sir. And boy, do I wonder if he's going to be back, man. Like, it it, it it freaks me out a little bit. So here's the interesting thing. I it read does. a piece um, by Steve Simmons. Oh, great. Not usually my cup of tea, but great. Hit, hit he, it. He hit, usually hit has... It. Usually has some degree of information. Somehow he still has sources. Yes. But what he had alleged in his report, basically the whole piece was about saying, I don't see why they couldn't or why they shouldn't re-sign Dubas. He's done everything for this team. Who, who could possibly do a better job than what he's done to this point, which I think are, is very valid for him to say. But it was reported by him that allegedly Shanahan wanted to extend Dubis this past summer. And if that is factually correct, that is a fucking red flag for me. And I'm not just talking in terms of Dubis's future, but for me, organizationally, that's a red flag if Shanahan wanted to and for whatever reason could not. And yeah, I'll tell you why. But what? Okay, okay, okay. So take us back to pre-Shanahan area. What was the problem with this team? No direction. Organizational dysfunction. Organizational <laughs> dysfunction. No direction. Uh, you got ownership and board directors getting involved in hockey ops. Yep. That's the shit that we always harp on as being the worst possible thing that can happen. So my only concern based on that report, if that is true, is that Shanahan went and said, this is my plan. I'm extending Dubas. And they said no. So what, what does that mean? Let's try and extrapolate that information. If they are they hinging it on a round one win or loss, 
What are they doing? What is the call? Are they just you know they going to base it on overall performance? You know, is the board and ownership getting impatient? You know, maybe they just said, let's see how the year goes. That could be the best case scenario. But when I hear things like Shanahan wants to do something and then it didn't happen, that that's concerning for so me. I, I, that's I, reminiscent of old old timey Leafs pre Matthews era. I think it's the latter when you said you know perhaps they're just waiting to see how the season plays out. Yep. Um, sorry, remind me when uh, around what time did uh, Shanahan want to extend? Was it in it was the last off season? They said last yeah. offseason. Okay, yeah. so you see though, like I, I can I can appreciate your concern. Uh, your level of concern um, with that being the case. However, we're talking about like the summer after another loss yes. and it wasn't like a devastation collapsing type loss, but they did fail to win mm-hmm. games six and seven. So ultimately I would classify it still mm-hmm. as a, as a bit a of failure. a collapse. Yep. You know, it's not a Bruins collapse in 2013 or mm-hmm. a Montreal collapse from the bubble, but it is what it is. Yeah. I think it would have been difficult for any ownership group to extend any general manager under those those circumstances. circumstances. Now, if you said to me that Shanahan approached the board during all-star week Mm -hmm. and they said, no, I'm right there with you for being concerned because now like we're talking about like the season is going well. Everything is seemingly going according to plan. Players are playing well. Coach is doing his job. Uh, we got some trades we're kicking around. Stay tuned for a couple months. And they would say, yeah, let's go ahead and extend this guy. He does a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be more concerned if it was a little bit more recent. To be honest with you, my concern level is very low on it. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, my only concern is that he wouldn't return. Meaning, right. meaning, oh, you didn't want to extend me. And you, you treated, like he took it personally you treated me like a lame duck GM, which mm-hmm. doesn't exist in this league. We mm-hmm. talked about this before. Lame duck coaches exist often, mm-hmm. but lame duck GMs do not. Yeah. They do not happen so ever. So you just hope that he's not been rubbed the wrong way. He's miffed a little bit. And I don't and says, think that would be the case because he's a pro's pro. Yeah, and I feel like he's got some loyalty to him and, and he's kind of finished what I started type guy. Which so, he should. But yeah, I would imagine, and there's already been a rumor, I guess, recently that uh, the um, the Flyers, for example, yeah, I heard that. has uh, apparently keeping a vacancy open to waiting to see who does what this upcoming offseason. And that's unsurprising because if I'm they should do the that. GM or president or fucking owner of any other NHL team and I look at the work he's done, while the success hasn't been there, you look at the work he's done and you're like, fuck. You got a capped out team and you still managed to make additions to and, and innovate and keep competitive. That's attractive to anybody. So if they end up in a bidding war, I'm sure they'll be fine in that regard. But I guess the, the main concern, like you said, is hopefully he's not been rubbed the wrong way. Yeah. And I really, I would, I'm, I'm saying that with a grain of salt. You know, I, I really don't think that things getting personal or a guy like a general manager in any sport being like, personally offended by their decision. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but I really don't think that that would be the case here. Uh, but I, but I, I do have a little bit of, of concern in my mind because, you know, if it's not Dubas, then someone else is negotiating the Matthews contract. Yes, that and is how concerning. Does, how does that go? That because, is ultra concerning. You know, let's say, and I, this is just a really dumb hypothetical, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, let's say we sign, you know, Dubas was able to sign Matthews at uh, 13.28 or something like that. And another GM 
who takes over from Dubas after the Leafs lose again and everyone loses their fucking jobs. And he only wants to sign Matthews to 12-9. And Matthews says, well, fucking, I'm beating it then. And then he beats it. You know, he goes somewhere else. Now I'm like, I know this hypothetical mm. makes no sense, but that's just the, the, the spider web entangling in my brain where I'm worried. I'm worried that if the team is unable to be successful again, that I don't even know what the next fucking step yeah. is and, and where where do we even go from yeah. here? Who sticks around? Who leaves? It, it's, it's very frightening as a yeah. huge fan. As a lifelong diehard fan, mm-hmm. it's frightening. And you think that by this time, we should have some sort of confidence, but we, we can't. We can't have that confidence, can we? No, we're still haunted by the ghost of Harold Ballard, and we can't help <laughs> but think that, you know, we can't help but think the worst is around the corner. It's like that... Um, Feeling of impending doom, yeah. they call it, right? Where you're just like, well... My exam is tomorrow been, and I'm not ready. <laughs> you know, I said in our group talk the other day, the team's not going to be any better than what we see here today. And if they decide to you know, go in some drastic different direction, I don't fucking feel too good about that. No. You know, like I'm not excited or like, yeah, we need to change. It's like, no, we need to fucking lock, win. lock down Matthews for as long as humanly possible yeah. and win and like keep continuity with this team. So uh, I can understand maybe them going, let's see how the year goes. And I think it has probably a lot to do with, you know, what they decide. Are we going to? drill down Matthews are we going to keep going with this core are we going to make some alterations that might play in the decision but still like if I'm fucking anybody who's anybody I want I'm pretty sure I want Dubas Chanahan and company continuing on even if there are harsh decisions to be made yeah I mean you know what as much as I love the guy my bias is huge we can we can remove Keith from the conversation a coach is a coach okay yeah yeah, we can so, remove Keith from the conversation, but you're right. Organizationally, from top down, Shanahan Dubas, mm-hmm. I, I I couldn't have more confidence in those two individuals, even though we haven't seen any results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's it might just be like, well, we we tolerated such a poorly run organization and shitty hockey for so long. It's like we don't want to let go, and you want to keep building, keep going. So. I think that's part of why we're we're all in. And it's not as if, like you said, you can go back year after year after year and look back at the moves made, the trades made, and all that stuff and have a hard time disagreeing with them in that moment in time. I'm going to throw a stat at you. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. I just thought it was really fucking interesting. Um, there's been a lot of talk. I've noticed online commentary about, oh, yeah, God forbid, should the Leafs get a five-on-three power play? Should they ever get one? How many do you think they've had this season just in your watching? Well, I know it's low. The answer is fucking zero. It is zero. I it's was gonna zero. say I thought I I thought I remembered them being on one, but maybe there was coincidental penalties called because I thought we were getting a five on three. I did remember. I'm surprised yeah. to hear that so it's they have zero. Not got a five on three this season. And going back in the data, I think somebody. I, I wish I had saved this particular piece of information, but somebody had said that it hasn't happened in like thirty some years. That, that they can find where, where a team they, where did a team not hasn't had one. get five on three. So five, five on three opportunities this season, Leafs zero. There's two teams that have had three. There's three teams that have four, three teams that have had five, five teams have six, five teams have had seven, six teams have had eight, three teams have had nine, one team 10, one team 11, and two teams 14. 14. So 
I don't want to create any conspiracies here and get all the everyone's out to get the Leafs. <laughs> but that doesn't. That's just kind of fucking bizarre, is it not? Well, at some point, coincidence is out the window. Come on, you got to be honest. At some point, coincidence is out the window. Like if we had zero and the the most amount that any other team had had all year was four, well then fuck, who cares? Who cares? We're only like, yeah, we haven't had any and we're the only team that hasn't had any. But, you know, these guys have had the most and they've only had four. So yeah. who cares? But you're talking, you're telling me that there have been 14 for yeah. some teams. That's a little mind boggling. 12, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not just like we're randomly stuck at the bottom and it's just never happened to us. Um, at some point, this isn't about the law of averages anymore. This mm-hmm. is about like. I don't know. I don't know what to say. What's going on? I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. I just thought it was really crazy to actually see that quantified because I think I remember seeing like, yeah, I don't think they've had one either. And then sure enough, they've had zero. Um, and I don't think, you know, Wes McCauley's given us any anytime soon. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, one thing I wanted to uh, ask you about was the report today I saw um, where – Keith wants to get Nylander going. I, I feel like this happens every year. Am it I happens wrong? every month. Oh, every month? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, every couple of months. I mean, <laughs> Willie's been, you know, un, unarguably the Leafs probably best player. Maybe not most valuable. I put Mitch there just because he plays more. He plays in all situations. Yeah, true. But William Nylander, night in, night out for the majority of the season has been the best player. And it was it was quoted earlier in the year by Sheldon Keefe, I think it was like even maybe before the season began, where he said, Willie has told me, we've talked about this, that he needs to be challenged. He needs to be pushed. This is just another example of that. Okay. You know, I, they, they, I think they had him on practice lines, third line the other day, uh, or t- today, um, had him split up, and he said him and Tavares have been quiet lately, so he wants to get them both going. Very valid points. I'm not too worried about it. No, I'm not worried about it either. I think it just creates a bit of a media shitstorm and a Twitter every time shitstorm. The, the yeah. amount of fucking Twitter noise over practice lines on off days is crazy. Like, I understand we don't have a lot of content to le- latch on to, and there's not a lot to drive the the narratives and conversation. But and and I've heard this from media people too. The guys who go to practice and they tweet out the line combinations or the line rushes or whatever, and the amount of piss. And shit being flung all over the place <laughs> over fucking practice lines. Like Alan Arvison, we're not talk, not a game, not a game. We talk about practice. Talk about practice, and man. people are losing their shit. How is Luke Shen paired with Morgan Riley? That's not a first pair. Well, fuck, they're not going to play thirty fucking minutes together. Like right. chill. Yeah. I just ah uh, the the I don't know the just the the knee jerk reactionary typical Leafs fandom. And I thought I saw a tweet the other day that I thought encapsulated typical Leafs fandom very well. And I'd say I even operate on this basis in some capacity or another. Okay. But we lose, we fucking suck. We win, we're fucking back, baby. Yeah, That's it. It's so true. It's that. It's one extreme or the other. It's so right? true. And you know what? That was like case and point of what you just said was Saturday night. Oh, my God. I had both those emotions throughout that entire the game. whole game. I wanted that game to be over so bad. I'm like, why won't they fucking die? Like, the Sens would not die. At one point, you entered blasphemy. Yeah. You were in blasphemous territory where you said, and I think you said something along these lines, I would have taken a regulation loss just to have this fucking game over with. 
uh, and this was in like the third or fifth round of the shootout. Oh my god! We went yeah. to the tenth round of the shootout, and I think we were halfway through the shootout. And you said, "This is awful. I hate this. I just, <laughs> I would have taken the L." And I'm thinking. Whoa, pump the brakes here. I mean, you can't trade that in. It was just killing me that the game was still going because I felt like they should have won it already. And obviously. then the offside goal. The offside comeback. Great they score Keith, anyway. And they score anyway. Which and we they knew. seem to have all the momentum. And that fucking OT was actually, for a 3-on-3 three three over team, pretty boring. There was a lot of circle backs. We didn't there touch was a the lot puck. of turnovers. We didn't barely touch the puck. I think Matthews had some egregious fucking giveaway too. Oh, it was. It was like it was pretty hard to watch. And you could tell, like, you could tell in the first period the Leafs were out of gas. Like after that win in Carolina, they did not have a lot going on. And Ottawa probably played their best fucking game of the season. They Dude, were flying. It was a scheduled loss. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Like coaches, GMs, yep. players, owners. And they played like it. Yep. They'll tell you. You know, they'll tell you, it's not like it's every back-to-back, but you can look at the schedule and say, even though it's only October, uh, March, you know, the second week or the third week of March is going to be a tough one. We got a road trip and then we're coming home. I think that is probably one Mm -hmm. you can circle and say, you know, if we lose that game, it's probably a burn the tape game. It's not a, you know, I'm going to harp on all my guys based on it. So I do think that the, the Saturday game was a bit of a, a chance to be a scheduled loss. Mm-hmm. But what I said to my buddy was um, really good teams find ways to win and those that's scheduled losses. Just win, baby. That's what we saw from them, right? We saw a game even in Carolina where if you're looking at the fucking deserve to win a meter and the fucking numbers, you're like, oh, it's kind of sloppy. But they found a way to win. And that's that's the shit I think translates in the playoffs. Like, yes. That's that we don't quit. That's that we keep going. We find a way. We do what we have or give what we have to find a way to win. And those moments are great learning moments and experience for these guys, especially the guys that have been down the road in, in round one, unable to get the job done, get over the hump for round two. You know, it's a long season, man. And what do you take away from the season? Mm-hmm. Like, we were talking not too long ago about, you know, what was what was the draw point for the season? Was it to see if Matthews can score like 70 goals or something silly? Obviously, he's on a down year by his standards, working through some injuries. Like, what else was there for us to really hang on to? It, mm-hmm. There's nothing. So I think if we're feeling that way as the fans, it must be difficult sometimes for the players also. Yep. What do they hang on to? They're going to dinners. They're, they're hitting the gym. They're, they're going to see movies with How each other. How do they keep other. it like, positive? Yeah, right? and I think those moments where you stick with the game, the deserve win meter is against you, but you come out mm-hmm. on the winning side, I think those are really important moments for mm-hmm. everyone, not just the elite superstar veterans but also the role-playing guys too and a very important moment for one matt murray he needed that dub he needed like i know know, everyone's like well he let in four goals for the fourth straight i don't give a fuck he got the dub he made 50 saves got the dub yeah he was awesome in the shootout he was on you know the home his uh the rink he was home at last year yeah yeah like that was a big confidence-boosting, confidence-building win for him. He needed that. The boys pulled through for him, which I thought was awesome. Um, So shout-out Matt Murray. Shout-out Alex Kerfoot because I cannot believe, A, he got sent out to shoot, and B, that he fucking scored on that slick little, like, open him up on the five hole, slid it through. Like, that was a thing of beauty. And it's funny, too. My wife, as soon as they they announced Kerfoot, she's like, wow, 
really scraping the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> eh? Like, she, even she knew that that wasn't, the, like, the optimal pick for shooting at this point, right? Yeah, well, it went for a long time, man. And for the most part, uh, the goalies were making the saves. Early, it looked like every shooter was going to score. Yeah, well, Matthews and Nealander burned some very yeah, nice backhands. It looked like every shooter was going to score at the beginning, and then the goalies just figured it out. And then it looked like nobody was going to score for the longest time. And, it, you know, one of those exciting shootouts, let's go, as you know, um, I'm not a huge fan. I'd love to see overtime increase. They actually talked about that at the general manager's meetings. I'd like to hear more about that. Uh, geez, if only we could talk to an NHL general manager and see. Maybe, maybe we'll, someday. Maybe someday. Um, yeah, I just – I think it was really exciting because it was that moment where the Sens elected to shoot first, even as the home team. So when they scored, it looked like it was over. Mm-hmm. And then Kerfoot – or sorry, um, I can't even remember who shot for us. They had oh, to score. Who, who responded? There. They had to yeah, score. That was a big one. Yeah. Oh, it was bunting. It was bunting, yes. It and was it was a weird another one. Another backhander, though. It was weird. It looked like he lost possession So at almost. that point, they had three backhand goals, too. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so bunting had to score to tie it up. And he did, and mm-hmm. that meant that we continue on, which I always find is kind of strange. You know, you got, like – five or six consecutive shooters and nobody scores. And then two and then score back-to-back. Yeah, back. yeah, and then two score back-to-back, back, which was kind it of It was crazy. a crazy shoot. Longest one of the season. Definitely one uh, that was worth watching and, and, and definitely got a lot more. The other shout I want to give out is to the Leafers who paid to go to that game because I was hopping on the fence, off on and off the fence, talking to some buddies, looking at prices, all that. I'm like, fuck. Last few times I had been there, and my granted, it was a few years ago, but they just never seemed to bring it. And they didn't. They had a bad, like, I wouldn't say they had a bad game, but they weren't good, no. right? They were, like, they were okay, just okay. No, but you know you what, know what though? I mean? If you were in that building, um, you, wouldn't you, you wouldn't have cared. No, yeah, because they scored and, goals yeah, and, and they what won I'm, the game. What I'm saying is I also felt very sheepish because this, would, this will be the first NHL season um, where – where you're allowed to go to games. Okay, COVID yeah. notwithstanding. Yeah. This will be the first NHL season in I don't know how long, dude. A really, really, really long time where I didn't go to any games. Yeah. And, and, and I'm disappointed oh. because I think I think it would have been amazing to be there. Obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. However, I feel that if I went there, they probably would have lost. I don't know. It's like it's like they've been playing. They haven't been playing amazing hockey, but they they've been lose. playing solid hockey lately. And Ottawa obviously has been flying, trying to chase down that, you know, increasingly elusive playoff spot, which I'm not. I'm not thinking that they're, they're going to get. No, but, they're fucked now. But you could see it. That was a that was a team on the ropes on Saturday. They brought everything they had. They looked damn impressive. Uh, Timmy Stutzla looking. Damn impressive yeah, out but th- there. Yeah, but think about it, dude. Like, is it a surprise to you that they bring their best efforts of the season against the Leafs on home ice? Well, because wonder, it shouldn't be. I wonder how much of that motivation is like, fuck all these fans. Like, fuck all these Leafs fans. That's what I'm saying, bro. Yeah. So, like, if you went to your home barn and on Tuesday night you're playing the Colorado Avalanche, for example, and you've got a pretty full barn, a few Colorado jerseys, that's to I be expected. I almost went to that game. It was like 40 bucks to you know, like, that one. That, that's to be expected. I was actually just using them as an example. I forgot that they recently played there as well. But, yeah, you know, you see a couple of the visiting jerseys, but everyone is rooting for you. The major- the, the collective majority is clearly mm-hmm. rooting for you. Um, and then a couple nights later, you bring in this other team, and none of your fans are even there. The whole fucking building is the other team's fans. Like, my goodness, Lesko, that is a level of emotion that I don't think you can just fabricate. 
You can't go into the dressing room. DJ Smith can't go into the dressing room and say, hey, boys, I want you guys to go out there and play like we're playing against the Leafs on home ice. Yeah. They'd, they'd all be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But it, 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 there has to be something like an innate, like conscious mm-hmm. or subconscious part of your mind where, yeah, you're like, this, fuck these guys. And then, like, I want these guys out of here. I want to beat these guys and make all these idiots cry on their way home. If there's one thing that always seems to be a common theme when the Leafs go to Ottawa, though, is that there's a couple guys that seem to show out for the boys, like for the fans. Marner, Matthews, they always seem to do well in that building. You saw Marner after he sniped that goal, looks right at the fans. Oh, yeah. He's, I love the way he sells with the fans, especially on the road like that. That's pretty cool. Um, so I feel like there's a couple guys who definitely rise. But like, we can't, we can't have 15,000 fans in this building, you know, just – lay an egg here like of we course gotta, we gotta put on a, a show or something yeah well they used to lay some pretty severe eggs when Ooh. you and i would go into Ooh. the building and also in buffalo yeah. when you know that probably 70 75 percent of the fans i is remember going as Toronto. a kid man and seeing them get the wheels beat off oh yeah over and once a year my dad once a year my dad take me to a game and i thought he started asking me like do you want to go because i think the last one i went to they lost like seven two and i blew out an eardrum listening to the fucking via rail horn <laughs> Awful. It is so true, man. I know. I remember one. I think you and I were at a game one time together, and they got destroyed yep. as well. Yep. Like yep. gave up way the last, too many. I think the last one I went to pre-COVID, they were fucking brutal. Like they just didn't show. This would have been, I guess, 2018, 2019, around there. Right. It was. It was just that one put a sour taste in my mouth because I think it was the last two in a row uh, where they had really shit the bed. Uh, there, um, I want to circle back trade led deadline real quick because I want to give a little love to our boy Luke Shen, the prodigal son who has returned. Luke, even in Ottawa, you could hear the Luke when yeah. he was laying the body around. You, you know, I I don't want to see your charts, graphs, fucking all that. I think I posted a GIF uh, whenever they traded for Shen, and it was the one, the scene from Office Space when they're smashing all the computers oh, in yeah. the field. Yeah. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> just like trashing yeah. the uh, fancy yeah. stats, right? Yeah, so I just like that. We saw what he did in Tampa. You know, he's not coming in here to be the savior, you know, play top minutes or anything like that, but he has what it takes. We know he does. He's got the cups. He plays the style of hockey that we want. Okay? He's got the passion. Exactly. He's got the passion. We want less Sandines and we want more Shens. Why? Because those are the guys who clear space in front of the net. Those are the guys who lay that fucking hit to get the boys going. Yes. Okay? Like that's, and standing up for each other. Let's go, which we haven't seen a whole lot of in the in the in this core in this yeah. era. And I, for one, when they trade Luke Shen, was a little sad. I was pumped about JD, JVR, and it worked out great. But like Luke Shen was thrust. Oh, he's the next captain. He's the top yeah. D forever, and all this stuff. Expectations. They were trade for Fanuf, and they're like, yeah, you know what? We'll let him go. He's had a great career otherwise, and I think there was a period of time. I'm pretty sure, if I don't recall correctly, 15, 16, 17 around there, were people like Luke Shen's done. Yeah, like he's got nothing. And what? He, and if you ask him, I, I was reading an interview with him. He changed his training. He changed his game. He adapted his game. You know, it's not just a six-four big boy defender's game anymore. He's got to be more mobile. He's got to yes. move the puck better. Gap control. And he's adapted. And now he. You know, he comes back and he's a well-respected veteran of the game. And I'm sorry, but I can't think of a better hockey nickname, aside from Mr. Hockey maybe, than the Human Eraser. The Human Eraser. It's so perfect, man. Um, 
a little bit of a letdown there, not being able to see him as often. Of course, not a letdown for Mr. Shen and his family. They welcomed a new baby. Yeah, so into he the was world. gone for a bit there. So congratulations to them. Obviously, are in order. Um, him and his wife, of course. But you know, from a fan's perspective, I I was really looking forward to to seeing him in there. And uh, the first couple games uh, where the new bodies were in, Ryan O'Reilly was in, Achari was in, Lafferty Daniel came afterwards. Um, I was a little disappointed because I wasn't able to watch those games very intently. Mm-hmm. I was busy on the first, like the first two games after the trade deadline. I couldn't watch one second, right? And I was devastated because, like, I can't just watch well, it highlights. Was exciting, because I can't just watch highlights. I have to actually yeah. watch. And we talked about uh, going into the trades. We've been like, yeah, it's middle of the season. It's that lull, and you're like, wow, well, we got the deadline to get us into it. I'm like, well, let's see what happens. Fuck, I haven't missed a game since the deadline. Oh yeah, because I want to see the the lineup blender. I want to see how key factors these guys the gelling in. and all yeah. that stuff. Right. Yeah, well, and, you know, uh, O'Reilly posting that hat trick, I think, on the same day that Frank Saravelli carved the Leafs for trading for him. Yeah, yeah. Was just, oh. Poetic just, justice. Oh, eh? It just got me. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, not only did he get, like, kind of dragged earlier in the day, like, oh, he's just not there anymore and he's not a difference maker, blah, blah, blah. And he goes out and proves that within a three-game span, you can plug him in with on the Tavares-Nylander line, and he'll plug in three goals for you. Yeah, and let's be honest, that was against Buffalo uh, back when Buffalo was actually still playing some pretty decent hockey. Yes. They have fallen off significantly yeah. since then. Maybe Ryan O'Reilly put the dagger in, the, in, in their coffins <laughs> there, the final nail in the coffin. Who knows? But, yeah, I mean, the, the playoff race is heating up. Um, the speculation yeah. on who's going to play where is heating up the finish to the Final Four NCAA men's college hockey circuit. That is heating up. Matthew mm-hmm. Nyes is going to look to factor in. I believe I saw a report that those games are going to be on TSN. Wonderful. So wonderful indeed. Now, I don't know if they're always on, on TSN, but it wouldn't surprise me at all, Lesko. I don't think it would surprise you either if they wanted to get those games on some eyeballs because of one player. Yeah. One player, and it's Matthew There's Nyes. somebody generating a lot of buzz. Yeah, I think he won a Player of the Year award recently. He's up for the Hobie Baker. Yeah, Big Ten. Very exciting, very interesting, and obviously with him coming, we want to know what we're going to get. And, uh, you know, the college hockey is becoming just more and more – it's always been regionalized and localized and yeah. stuff like that, and the Frozen Four draws some eyes and some national coverage. But – the the NCAA, you look at the amount of players coming from there, the guys getting drafted high and all that and opting to take that route, that's it's it's a lead to watch for sure because and I'm just more and more amazed at the guys who walk from college hockey into the NHL. Like it's very rare you see a guy come from the O or from the WHL, the Q and walk in the NHL. That's a big enough jump because you're you're age capped there, right? Yes. You're talking college guys, you can guys have guys at twenty four, twenty five years old, right? Not very often, but you know, older older guys, right? Yeah. So there's a bit more maturity factor there. But the guys I feel who can walk out of college hockey and into the NHL is is very, very impressive. And there's more of that taking place than there are from the CHL. Yeah, and I wanted to touch a little bit more on that too because I, I've been called crazy or delusional by lots of people for thinking yeah, that. Yeah, me. <laughs> for think, but specifically for thinking that Matthew Nyes can can slot in and, and, and make a difference, be an impact, and not just be another body out there. Like, look, at, I'm not saying that he has to come in and be one of our best players the top on the roster. Sniper. The other thing that I think is important to note, Lesko, is like people were saying, 
do you expect this guy to come in and be good for the team like in the playoffs? We're talking about the playoffs. It's a different animal. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, that's a good conversation to have, and I'd like to have it because here's my view on it. He'll be coming out of the NCAA, the Frozen Four. Hopefully, they'll make the championship and win it. They are the favorites. Pinnacle of his career, really. Yeah, they are the favorites. So let's say they get there and they make it, or even if they don't, okay? He's going to leave that that one-game do-or-die pressure-packed situation and transition into the NHL. Now, he'll be leaving a team and an organization where he was one of the two, two guys, yeah. him and Logan Cooley, yeah. right? So he'll be one of two or three elite superstar players leading the Gophers in Minnesota. And he'll move over to the Leafs where there are an abundance of players that lead that team, both in their elite superstar play like Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander. And then you've got your role-playing veterans that are on the team as well. I don't see why it's it's a like a silly or an asinine expectation for Nice to come in and actually actually contribute. I don't mean scoring and assisting, but contribute. Look like he belongs. Look like about? he belongs. I think that's because let's go. It's not like he's coming into the regular season and here we are. We're off on a three game road trip, and then we're going to stop here and we're going to take mm-hmm. in a Bruce Springsteen concert, and then we're going to come home. You got to sleep in a hotel. No, he's just going to be entering. A, basically, at its core, like a, a tournament, fixed, a fixed schedule, a tournament. Yeah. He's entering a tournament. Well, he just en- he just exited from a tournament, mm-hmm. a one game winner take all loser. You're you're crying right. in your stall, uh, type of tournament, and he'll be going to the NHL where he's going to play against one team every other yeah. night for for a two week. So you think the mental prep will be there a little bit just I from think, where he came from to where he's. I going. think so. How yeah. could it be? They're preparing for one team. Yeah. I think there's not there's not someone I've been so excited probably in in uh, several years to see play, and it's only because a lot of it is the hype. It's, yeah, it's he's been pegged as the most NHL ready player, not the best player in NCAA, but the most NHL ready player, and that's what I want to hear because I'm not looking for the best player in the NCAA. I'm looking for someone who can plug in. Yes, who's ready to go? And he's six three, two fifteen, loves to lay the body. Heavy on the forecheck. I saw someone post a tweet on there that he is NHL ready, but his his playmaking ability is severely lacking at the NHL level. And I'm like looking at the highlights. Granted, it's NCAA yeah. and I get it, but he's making like no look passes where it's clear that he has vision. Yeah. You can't make those plays if you don't have the vision. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very clear that he does have the vision, and I couldn't disagree more. I wish I had the tweet in front of me, but I couldn't disagree more with that tweet. Now, again, I always say it with a grain of salt and the caveat being I know it's NCAA and it's not the NHL. Those two leagues clearly do not uh, equate to mm-hmm. one another. But I just I really feel like – the the organization is setting him up for success. I do. I really think they're setting him up for success. I was banging on the drum very, very loudly in the summer and in the fall when it was decision time. 
is Matthew Nye going to join the Leafs and sign, yep. start his pro career, or is he going to go back to college? And I was very disappointed that he ultimately decided mm-hmm. to go back to college. But fast forward like six or seven months, whatever it is, into the future. I'll him. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely ready to forgive and forget because mm-hmm. now the team is great. We haven't really needed that L2 or L3 all year long. I think we are going to need it come playoff time, yeah. and I'm really, really high on this guy being that guy. It's just another good addition to the mix and it adds that increased competition which we're seeing a ton of it right now with the lines being switched up all the time is everyone's battling for spots and that's just another body battling for spots and I think that's only that only translates to good things and people bringing their best efforts on a nightly basis. So I'm going to put it on the record now. Mm -hmm. Um, I already have it on the record in our group chat but I'm going to put it on the record now that I believe the plan is he will play in the finals on Saturday, hopefully win. Mm-hmm. Sunday will be a recovery day, either hungover as fuck from the winning celebrations. Probably be hungover anyway. If or, I'm sure. He's in college. Let's sure. Be yeah, but if they lose, <laughs> it could be a bad day. Yeah, bad, might, bad hangover. It, it might be a, yeah, okay. It's extra fine. depressing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. So Saturday he plays. Sunday is a recovery day, good or bad. Yeah. Monday will be travel day to Florida. The Leafs play Monday mm-hmm. in Florida against the Panthers. And they'll sign the contract on the dotted line wearing board shorts, get a nice <laughs> picture together. And then Tuesday morning, Ranked I don't Rocky. know if the boys will skate, though, mm-hmm. because they will have played the night before. Right. So that is up in the air. If there's but an I, optional, you better show up. I, I do believe he'll be in the lineup on the following Tuesday, which is against the Tampa Bay Lightning. There you go. In There's Tampa. your tryout game one. What a perfect way to perfect. insert him into the lineup. Let's go. Put him on L2 with Tavares and Marner and get him his first goal on his first there you shift. Go. Marner set him up shot. for an open net. No sure. problem. Sure. Exactly, right? Exactly. Really looking forward to it, man. The clock is fucking winding down. Yes, sir. And it's winding down on this episode. You ready to yeah, wrap it up? Yeah, I'm ready to wrap it up. All right, brother. Well, Glad you were able to hustle over here and get uh, inserted yeah, time into out. the Pucks and D podcast as we welcomed former NHL professional and current TSN analyst Frankie Corrado, Francesco Corrado, joining the boys today on the Pucks and D podcast, The Godfather. An awesome chat with Frankie. Thanks again to Mr. Corrado for offering his time to join the boys. And that's it. Episode 106 is a wrap. You can follow us on Twitter at Coleman42, at Let's Go Adam. Check out the Pucks and D podcast page at PuckPod. Uh, Frankie, where was Frankie's? I had, oh, I don't even have it up anymore. I think it's at FrankCarado22. You can follow him on Twitter. It's been a slice, man. It's been a while since we recorded. Um, hadn't recorded since prior to the trade deadline, so there was a lot to talk about. I do believe we will be back on the airwaves relatively soon with a very, very exciting guest. Exclusive. And exclusive for the Pucks Indie podcast. Very exciting. We are still pulling some strings and trying to make that work, but um, I let I let it slip a little bit to a friend who, you know, I, I feel comfortable with letting them know ahead of time who we have on. Oh, yeah. And they say that's bigger than Duffy. Oh, well... If you think about it from like a coordination and like expectation standpoint, probably. I think so. All right. Well, stay tuned, folks. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast fixed so that you get those episodes whenever they drop. 
Yeah. Lesko and Coley signing off for episode 106. Take care. Comb that hair. Go Leafs go. We'll talk to you guys soon. Just win, baby. <laughs> <laughs>